After the war, new technology revolutionized the electronics industry. Television threatened to destroy radio, but another invention, the transistor, made radio more important and useful than ever. Radio lives today as a vital medium for bringing news, discussion, and music to millions of listeners all over the world. You are listening to WCBN FM Ann Arbor. start what we have come into the room to do. <laughs> right on. Here goes. One, two, three. Welcome Ann Arbor and the world and this is It's Hot in Here. I am your host Gina Gedham and we are here with the fabulous, fantastic and always exciting Rachel Chatterton who is often the co-host on this show and of Arborama. Welcome Rachel. Hello. We're so excited to have you as a special guest and not just uh, as a talking mouth. (laughs) I am myself. And that beautiful laugh is of the fantastic Emily Plews. Welcome, Emily. Thank you for having me. Very excited. Yes. And Emily and Rachel together have created um, something they're calling the Small Infinity Project, which you can check out at smallinfinity.com. Smallinfinityproject.com. Project.com. May I stress it's not a .com in terms of commercial. What's up with the uh, .com? .com? It was what we could figure out. (laughs) Yes. Well, I like it. I totally do. Well, we're going to get more into that coming up soon. We've also got some amazing updates from former It's Hot in Here correspondents and co-hosts, including Aviva Glazer, who has recently uh, released a report today where she is the lead author for the Ecology Center about uh, the cost of pollution to Michigan's youth. Also, Brian Mm -hmm. Lipinski will be filling us in on where in the world is the climate bill. And then Hugh Stimson will be talking to us about actions going on in Canada to stop the development of the tar sands up there. It's just a hot and here reunion. It really is. We're really excited. Mm. It's toasty. We're dancing. We're having a good time. Um, and that song you heard before, our theme music, was uh, a special one from Paul Mansour, who was back in the engineering booth. Oh, yeah. Uh, and we're happy. He's like, it's like the Breakfast Club is coming all back together. And this is a big love fest for us. And I hope it will be for you. I should also shout out Shannon Brines, a.k.a. DJ Local in the engineering booth, holding it down as always. So we've got some uh, one hit wonders, as you just heard, and some songs from some really great full on albums. Um, 
there's a lot of good and bad news going on in the world today. But my favorite news of the past two weeks um, has actually been the spread of the uh, double rainbow guy online <laughs> who saw a double full on double rainbow outside full on, full on uh, his house. What does it mean? And he got really, really excited and, is, and it uh, went viral. So Paul was uh, uh, kind enough to make some clips of the double rainbow guy, which we will then play. And don't be afraid if you hear them at home periodically because we want to share his enthusiasm. just being high on life uh yeah. in those clips and i'm all about it really yeah can you blame him a double rainbow that's pretty that's pretty significant no if, th- on. if that happened to me i would be wondering what what, what, what it does means. it mean what does this mean um so don't be afraid because he expresses a lot of the excitement that that we share uh for our planet and its people so uh, maybe he can be our unofficial mascot for it's hot in here. So we're talking about small infinity. So to get us up on the infinity tip, we're going to check out the song Infinity by They Might Be Giants. And this is off their album. Here come the one, two, threes. Plues and Richard Chatterton of the Small Infinity Project. And when I hear the Small Infinity Project, the first thing I think is something. What do I mean? What am I thinking? Uh, what does this mean? <laughs> it's starting to even look like a triple rainbow. <laughs> Sorry for the delay in my ridiculous humor. Uh, so what does it mean? What is the Small Infinity Project and where did it get started? 
Let's start there. Well, um, simplest explanation, smallinfinityproject.com is, it's a blog. Um, but it's, it's really so much more than that. Um, it started from uh, a graduation speech that mm-hmm. Emily and I wrote together. And we wrote this graduation speech. Um, someone had actually asked me a, a year ago to try to do that. Um, and so we, we wrote a speech because we felt we really had something to say to our classmates. We should say this is for the University of Michigan School of Natural Resources and Environment. Right. Right. Graduation. Both of us just graduated and we both studied in behavior education and communication track. So we thought a great deal about how um, the world actually changes and how environment, environmentalists can be really effective. And that's largely what our graduation speech ended up being about. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, I don't know how many conversations we had going into the graduation speech where we would just look at each other and say, but what do we really want to say? What is really important to say to these people right now? And we realized that one of the most important things to, to, to talk about was just how uncertain we are about our actions as environmentalists and whether or not they actually make a difference. So many things happen and it just right. leaves us wondering. Exactly. Well, because we we spent our time in grad school um, learning about, kind of learning about environmental problems in somewhat concrete terms. You know, we talked about economics and we talked about the research around behavior change and what, what works for people and what doesn't work for people. And we talked about policy and how policies are made. And it's all talked about in very concrete terms without, we felt a lot of acknowledgement of the uncertainty. So we wanted to bring that out and and make the point that it's not something to be afraid of. And so Mm -hmm. what the blog is trying to do is really celebrate the uncertainty, celebrate the unknown ripple effects that small actions can have. Right. And that's that's another point, an important point. We're really actually hoping that the blog can be a spot for environmentalists and change agents alike to go and kind of get rejuvenated with stories and some frameworks and some ideas that let them know it actually does make a difference. It could be something as simple as giving someone a book, taking them out to a meal, and you you are effectively changing someone's perspective on the world slowly but surely as you do that. That's so fantastic and so much needed now because I think we see these giant catastrophic problems, oil spilling Mm -hmm. in the Gulf Mm -hmm. and all kinds of other horrible things um, that I don't want to start my Monday listing off, to to be quite frank. Right. And individuals can feel hopeless Mm -hmm. in, in that framework and whatever battles it is we're struggling against. But to have those stories of small things happening and making a difference and putting out positivity into the world, that seems essential for creating the kind of future um, that can make us better off yeah. in the long run. Right. How was your speech at graduation received? <laughs> and did you have the blog before graduation? Well, we, so we were talking about starting a blog about six months before graduation and we just were, we were dragging our feet, you know, it was the last semester, you know, what, who has time to start a blog their last semester of grad school? And so mm. we agreed that the speech would be our first post. And so it was supposed to be sort of the start to something, but then the speech was just so well received by our classmates. Mm-hmm. It, it really, it struck a chord with everyone, and there was just this incredible energy in the room afterwards. We knew we had to do something yeah. big. And I have to say, I was Rachel delivered the speech, and I was sitting in the audience, and I was watching. There's a host of highly impressive academics that sit behind the student speaker while she does her speech, and I, I swear I saw the provost tearing up, which is a really good sign for University of Michigan, just to know the provost's heart would actually resonate <laughs> with the speech that we gave was about it, changing the world. Was it something yeah. like this? <laughs> it was exactly like if, very. If very it would have been socially acceptable to talk at the same time as Rachel, I'm sure that, that that's what the provost would have said. Right. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure it was very well received uh, in thunderous applause mm-hmm. following. Yeah. Just like that. Yeah. <laughs> That's actually exactly what, what Emily said to me um, oh, wow. when I came off the stage. I probably did, actually. I think you Something and the double like rainbow that. guy are like kindred wonderful spirits. 
I think we're pretty much best friends. We're just waiting to meet. Yeah. Just waiting to meet. Someday it'll happen. For sure. I I wouldn't rush it. You know, time will tell. Yeah. Time will tell. So, uh, are others able to post on your blog? Is that how it works? Mm, Do you absolutely. vet all of the posts first? That is the the goal is to have most of the posts be contributed by other people. We are we're not writing this whole blog ourselves. We're collecting stories. That's mm-hmm. what we say in our tagline. We're collecting stories. So we we invite contributions. We do vet the stories. Mm-hmm. Um, but mostly, I mean, we have a we have some um, formatting that we do just to make sure that the, the stories are searchable based on how we, we categorize them. Mm-hmm. So feel free, if you if you have a story about something that you can tell that one individual's actions changed you or changed others, just submit it. And Does it have to be one person or maybe it was a double effort? Double. Or maybe even... Double. Yeah, that's actually something that we haven't. Starting to even look like a triple rainbow. rainbow. (laughs) Yeah, that's something that we actually want to um, write about and set up. It's not fully set up right now with a call to tell us stories about how people enabled others, the groups of people enabled action. But that's really important too. Right now, the stories we're looking for are ones where. One person did something that affected another person that affected someone else or some other group or some even some policy, some city or state policy. And so it's like it's kind of a chain reaction. Just story. like infinity that it keeps going and that everything exactly. is connected. Right. Yes. So there now we that we, we do all know what it means. Hmm. And that's good. <laughs> Oh, wait, maybe we should explain that this small infinity actually comes from a paper that we read in school about how institutions change. Hmm. And it's a reference to a model that we describe on the on the website. Excellent. And I'm sure it's adequately cited. Oh, um, of course. Of course. You can link right to the article and read it Gosh, yourself. Yeah, that's our brilliant. The internet. They're beautiful. So if you want to submit your stories, we'll be reading some more later, but go to smallinfinityproject.com. And click on contribute a story. Yes. It's as simple as that, friends. And uh, we should uh, certainly think about contributing things soon. So we have another small infinity or medium-sized infinity uh, story coming up here very shortly with Aviva Glazer, who has just uh, released a report with the Ecology Center. And it looks like she's chatting it up right now with DJ Local, but uh, we will get in with her very shortly. I should also say that later uh, at the bottom of the sh- or t- almost at the top of the hour, we'll be giving away a pair of free passes to the Michigan Roots Jamboree for Friday night, which is running August 6th through 8th at Riverside Park in Depot Town in Ypsilanti, Ann Arbor, and Root. has an absolutely top-ranking uh, a uh, lineup of largely Michigan performers, including our very own Rachel Chatterton with Hullabaloo. Hullabaloo will be there, I won't, unfortunately. Oh, man. I know. We are having some technical triumphs today. I really wanted to play that. There we go. Well, hey, that sound means our toxic tangent correspondent, our toxic tantris, uh, should be on the line. Aviva, are you with us? Hello, Gina. Uh, did you see how I snuck in that uh, creepy Aviva song in there? I've been wanting to play sure that did. for ages. For um, and I'm really glad we finally got the chance. <laughs> it's so good. If you're interested in hearing the rest of that song, that's by China Woman. And there's a pretty provocative uh, and bizarre video on YouTube. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> Uh, but Aviva, we are so glad to have you on the line and so excited to have your new news. So tell us what is up uh, in, in your world and your connections in Ann Arbor and then perhaps even more broadly. 
Yeah, well, um, this is exciting news. It's it's actually breaking news. Uh, the first ever study of the cost of environmentally related diseases in Michigan was released this morning. Um, this is a report that uh, I was the lead author on, and it was released by the Ecology Center and the Michigan Network for Children's Environmental Health. Um, and the report finds that uh, the environmentally attributable costs of uh, childhood diseases in Michigan cost the state $5.85 billion every year. Um, and this is a huge number. It's equal to about 1.5% of the gross domestic product of the state. Um, and this is what? a number that is linked to environmental toxins. Wow. Um, so the, we looked at four different diseases for this report, uh, lead poisoning, childhood asthma, and pediatric cancer, as well as neurodevelopmental disorders. Um, the report's already been picked up by the Detroit News. Um, and uh, to give you a little, a little uh, small infinity uh, um, tie-in to this report, um, the methodology that we used was uh, based on a national report published in 2002 by the Mount Sinai School of Medicine. So they published a report looking at the cost um, to the whole country, and then that report then sort of got taken and applied to um, a bunch of different states. So that one report led to reports in um, Oregon, Washington, uh, Maine, and now in Michigan. So a little bit of a small infinity for uh, scientific research as well. And then these reports will hopefully lead to some sort of policy change. Exactly. Um, And we're actually, uh, I'm calling in from D.C. where there's a lot of exciting stuff happening right now on environmental policy in terms of environmental health. Um, There has just been uh, a bill introduced uh, called the Toxic Chemical Safety Act, and that's a bill intended to overall the current um, legislation on toxic chemicals. And there's hearings being held this week, and hopefully um, there will be some real change that is made because we could really use some change when it comes to toxic chemicals. That's absolutely true. And I think it's important to note, I mean, this range, uh, you know, like 3.5 to almost $7 billion uh, in costs to the state of Michigan each year from four diseases. Uh, exactly. That, that and just for children. And these are ones that we can completely say that there are environmental causes to what is going on. But I think it's very safe to assume, and, and you mentioned this certainly in your press release, that there are a number of other illnesses that that correlation isn't necessarily as clear, and yet environmental causes are are still in there. So it's likely uh, to cost the state even more. Absolutely. This was a really conservative estimate, just looking at four diseases where there has been a published link in the literature um, to at least part of that disease um, burden to environmental toxins. But there, you know, there's just not enough research um, for how many chemicals they have in the environment. So I'm um, it's likely that the actual cost is much more, um, and it's hard to imagine more than, you know, five or six billion dollars, but it's it's a huge amount. Um, but the important thing, I think, to realize is that because because it's linked to toxins, it means that these are preventable diseases, and if we get rid of those toxic exposures, mm-hmm. we can improve children's health, we can improve the health of our community, and we can improve Michigan's economic health as well. That all sounds fantastic. <laughs> and I think this kind of information is needed um, to counteract a lot of claims from companies who are producing these chemicals or using them or the government that says it's too expensive to regulate it or companies that say we're going to operate at severe losses otherwise. But this is a real example of negative externalities of these things that we people actually have to pay for. Exactly. And right now, the policy has pretty much been uh, put the put the chemicals out there, pollute, and then we'll figure out later on if there's a problem. And we're trying to change that. And um, this new this new bill in Congress um, would change would would be a step in the right direction towards changing that, towards implementing some quarter some sort of precautionary principle policy saying that, hey, you can't pollute until you've proven that it's safe. Um, and that and that's the way it should be. We should be trying to protect children and the environment and um, trying to save money while we're at it as well in these hard economic times. Sounds so sensible. <laughs> Environmentalists are often thought of as being pie in the sky with ridiculous ideas, but this makes a lot of sense. <laughs> That's right. (laughs) Our children should be healthy and happy. If we want to see a copy of the report, how do we do that? 
The report is available um, online at the Ecology Center website. That's um, www.ecocenter.org or at the Michigan Network for Children's Environmental Health. Um, that's www.mnceh.org. And I'd really encourage anybody um, who's listening to get involved with one of these two great organizations because um, they're really doing a lot to try to improve um, children's environmental health in our community and um, in our region and in our country. Um, and you can stay, if you sign up for their listserv, you can stay active on um, latest uh, events and news and see how you can take action yourself. Well, that's fantastic. Well, it's it's great to see also that this small infinity that started uh, started uh, in this other report that is spread, and that your your actions are continuing to yeah. uh, circulate here in Michigan, even though you're so very far away. And now look at you on the radio, getting all of us to think about it. Hello, ripples. <laughs> that's right, and hopefully it'll ripple to our uh, our Congress, our our state Congress, our state. Uh, decision makers as well, um, and our international ones, and we can see some real real change out there. Aviva, I have another quick question. Before we get to the the point where policy can be changed, is there mm-hmm. anything that we can do just as consumers um, to think about where these toxins are and avoid them? Absolutely. As consumers, we have um, you know a huge amount of power. We can choose where we put our money and what kind of products we choose to buy, what kind of products we use for ourselves, for our family. Right. Um, and there's, you know, science is a great thing, and there's a lot of non-toxic alter- alternatives out there. Um, and sometimes it's as simple as just using soap and water instead of fancy antimicrobial stuff. For yeah, um, there's you know there's a ton ton of ways to try to reduce your toxic burden. Um, so definitely encourage people to to think about um, what you use and what you are exposed to on a daily basis. And if you can make an easy change um, or even a more difficult one, I, I'd uh, definitely encourage you to do that. Great. Thanks. Great question. Gosh, it's, it's so good to hear from you, Aviva, and to continue to hear the good uh, work that you're doing. And hopefully you'll keep us updated if, if we continue doing this into the future. Absolutely. Once again, what's Great that website address, Aviva? What's the address? Are you with us? Oh, yes. Sorry. The, the website is www.mnceh.org or www.ecocenter.org. Excellent. Well, check that out. All right. Thanks, Aviva. Take care. Thanks for having me on. Thanks for all your service to It's Hot in Here. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye. Oh, man, that was fun. Who doesn't love Aviva? That's <laughs> <laughs> oh, so fun. Once again, Aviva by China Woman. Check it out if you should have the time. All right, well, we're going to go to a quick tune, uh, and this one is from the Black Keys, uh, from uh, the town of Akron, Ohio, not far from my home. I've spent a number of summers working there. Uh, And this tune is Sinister Kid. The entire album uh, that this is off of, their new one, is flippin' fantastic. I, I'm totally digging it. Um, I love this band, love the song, but but let uh, us listen to it and think of it as sort of a public a service announcement for not growing up uh, downwind of a power plant because you too will turn into a sinister kid. Kid, cause they kid who runs to me. 
That was the Black Keys with Sinister Kid. And we are here talking about the Small Infinity Project, which you can check out at smallinfinityproject.com. Double rainbow. Oh, my God. It's a really great blog. <laughs> It'll make you say double rainbow. Oh, my God. It might make you say this. <laughs> when you see the joy that happens from that's starting true. Small Infinity. Yeah, yeah. yeah I can get true. on board with that one. Mm-hmm. And, and sharing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You might even be uh, so moved beautiful. to tears. <laughs> you might be. It's it's pretty inspirational, I think. It I really mean, is. yeah. To toot our own horn. So this beep. it started from a graduation speech, mm-hmm. uh, the the Small Infinity Project back in we graduated uh, late April, mm-hmm. uh, which unfortunately I missed. Uh, but I did read it online and loved it and sent it to so many people um, that I was with at the time that were also really inspired uh, mm-hmm. by these ways of thinking and the positive message and, and positive and practical message, actually, that that um, the speech and, and the broader blog has had since then. Mm-hmm. Where has the blog moved since then? And then where do you see it moving in mm-hmm. the future? So where have you come and where are you going? Well, we've come from not knowing at all how to set up a website to setting up a website. That was the first step. <laughs> that, was, that was a big step. We're yeah. using a, a WordPress.com, no, WordPress.org. There's a difference there. WordPress.org, um, host it, dream host. WordPress. Eh, details, whatever. details. Yeah. So we didn't have to do that much setup, but but we figured this out and... Mm-hmm. Um, we we set up our website. We got a, a graphic designer and a, yeah. a pro bono website designer on board. Pretty pretty awesome. I think most importantly, though, we've had a few people contribute stories in yes. addition to us. We've been writing down the stories that we've had kicking around in our heads and, and actually um, translating some change theory, too, to give people some frameworks for thinking about exactly what it is that they're doing. Change theory. What is that? Change. Is this what Obama used in his campaign? <laughs> Maybe. Hmm, arguably. <laughs> so or what we, has happened since he was elected? I don't know. <laughs> we we studied um, change, basically, both of us in our graduate studies. And, and there's there's a lot of thinking that's been done on, on how people change and how organizations change and how societies change. That It's been done by various academics and thinkers over the years. And so we're taking some of these ideas that we studied in our grad school and kind of Making them a little more readable, a little more accessible, and yeah. applying them to the stories that are on the site. Yeah, and so we're, oh. if you could think of two examples from this body of literature about how change happens. Sure. Um, there's one that I want to write about soon. It's called Newcomb's Theory of Communicative Acts. And it actually talks about how we change as we have conversations with other individuals yes. about certain topics. It's as simple as that. It's It's one conversation where you bring up your opinion about X, and then as that's happening, there's a simultaneous reading of your feeling toward that person and toward that idea. Um, so this is a way that you can actually, a framework that, that empowers me, I think, where I 
I'm sitting there thinking, okay, I want my mom to understand this. And I'll think about, okay, my mom inherently likes me. And that becomes yes. part of the, the logic for her understanding the ideas that I'm representing to her. Um, so, and this one isn't yet written up, but that's one example. I like that idea of starting from a place that is yourself yeah. and explaining how you see things a little differently right. versus, I mean, I, I think a lot of uh, political or otherwise philosophical discussions about our worldviews start from a place where you're attacking somebody else first. But uh, if, if yeah. you're embracing that position of love and confidence when mm -hmm. you're giving your ideas and your mom loves you already, mm -hmm. that's default, mm -hmm. uh, maybe we can... Help, help to con not convince, but to show. Is that more of the idea? Or yeah, I think. Well, an another thing that keeps creeping up in the literature is the, is the power of authenticity. Oh. Um, so it matters who the messenger is. It matters whether or not they're a person speaking from that place where where it is about love and it is about confidence. Um, and you'll find you'll be more effective as a change agent, as an environmentalist, when you're talking from there, as opposed to, I, I was actually looking at <laughs> a uh, letter from Thomas Friedman in the New York Times, where he is clearly really upset about something that's going to happen, but his message was highly... Oh my God, oh my God. <laughs> pretty negative. Oh um, my God. <laughs> thank you, Jen. <laughs> That's, that's I think that that's how Thomas Friedman was feeling, the oh my god, oh my god, but with a totally negative spin, and he sent it out into the world via New York Times. And I'm just not sure that that, that framing is exactly hopeful. I mean, the, the title of his, his piece was We're Gonna Be Sorry, and it was... We've all seen Ghostbusters. Yeah. We know that New York is already exactly in negativity. <laughs> The goo that's underneath. Yes. <laughs> no offense, our New York friends and listeners. Right. We love you. Anyway. Interesting. Yes. I dig it. Well, I think it's time to find out where the climate bill is and is going yeah. and where we yeah. had big hopes for it. That was something we were following quite a bit uh, on this show uh, and, and haven't had the opportunity to lately. I'm wondering where it's going. I'm getting emails all the time helping or asking for help. So we should bring uh, Brian Lipinski on the line, who was our former uh, fashion <laughs> correspondent, green fashion correspondent to the stars. We don't know what he is now, but we still know he's great. Hello, Actually, I'm, I'm calling you the decider of cool. Is that all right? <laughs> I love that name. Okay, great. <laughs> awesome. I'm the, a little sad I didn't get my theme music, but The whatever. DOC. <laughs> oh, we'll, we'll get it for you. No, We'll get it for fine. you. No, we will. Uh, <laughs> there hey. it is. <laughs> There we go. Yes. Feeling it? Ow! <laughs> Ooh. Brian, anything for you on this show? Oh, I love it. We're making it happen. Where? What's happening with D.C. and the climate bill? Are we just completely stalled? I mean, didn't it pass the House? Well, I'm sort of feeling like we should rename my segment bad news from Washington, D.C. with Brian Lipinski, because last time I was on the show, I realized was to tell you all about the debacle that was Copenhagen. Mm -hmm. So I'm becoming the Italian here resident buzzkill, unfortunately. Um, it's a good thing you have such a positive personality that outshines the negative news that you bring, as we were just discussing. Yes. So you were right that the climate bill passed the House last year. Unfortunately, Harry Reid, the majority leader of the Senate, has just announced that he does not have the votes to get it through the Senate, and he will not be bringing it up for a vote. So at this moment, the climate bill is dead. Dead. Yeah, or maybe on what? extreme life support. Oh. What does this mean? <laughs> it's Seriously, what does this mean? I well, mean are we all going to... I don't want to be doom and gloom. No, and I don't want to be doom and gloom either. So what happened, what's going on right now, for those who don't really follow the politics of it, in the Senate, Republicans are filibustering everything that Democrats bring forward, meaning you need 60 votes to pass any legislation. That's great. So, you know, let's just make things as difficult as possible. Exactly. Okay. So there was some hope for a while because Lindsey Graham from South Carolina, who's not really one of the more liberal senators, really made this his pet issue. And we, 
there was a lot of hope in the environmental community that if Lindsey Graham was on board, that maybe he could bring in some other Republicans. But right now, it's we the Democrats haven't succeeded in getting any Republicans on board, and Lindsey Graham withdrew his support. And hmm. after health care was such a big thing, that there's just not the political will to take on another huge issue like climate change right now. So uh, what's been conveyed to me, too, okay, this passed the House, but there's a small number of Republican individuals in the Senate who are stopping movement from happening here, and they represent uh, a very small pocket of concentrated oil and gas and general fossil fuel interests. Is that the case? Uh, it is and Largely. isn't. We, we can't just paint this as Democrats versus Republicans right. because the Democrats have screwed it up plenty, too. <laughs> Right. There are a number of Democrats from from coal-heavy states that are also not – that were not on board with this. So, But I think there were also compromises made, and the legislation was perhaps even weaker than uh, we would have wanted it to, to be otherwise. Oh, absolutely, yeah. When Lindsey Graham came on board, that was sort of one of the, the necessary trade-offs, was that the legislation got weakened somewhat. Mm-hmm. But now what is – what Senator Reid is going to introduce is a very, very stripped-down bill. It's 136 pages of legislation about energy, and the word renewable appears once. Wow. And so what it covers is incentives for new natural gas vehicles, an increase in liability costs for oil spills, um, new incentives for home appliance efficiency and a boost in funds for the Land and Water Conservation Fund. So, and I don't want to minimize these things. These are, are good things. They're important things, but it's nowhere near what we wanted. And so the environmental community is really upset, feels really betrayed. And the only hope right now is for what's known as passing it in a lame duck way. I didn't phrase that correctly, but making it lame duck legislation. And what that means is after elections in November, the Senate and the House enter what's known as a lame duck period. And so the hope is that some of the more reluctant legislators will be more willing to vote for it at that time. Because they're term- Because they're not facing yeah. immediate yeah. elections and the consequences of voting for it. Well, and, and while we certainly can't say that this is a strictly a Democrat or Republican issue, because quite frankly, I don't even care for these terms or groups mm-hmm. naming them anymore either. And, and I don't think that's a solution. Um, but uh, a report from the Center of Responsive Politics on the oil and gas influence and lobbying stated that the, in this Congress alone, the oil and gas industry has spent 213 million lobbying in Congress. <laughs> So a depressing number. It is a depressing number. And if the number of children exposed to toxic chemicals were allowed to spend that much money or had that money to spend in Congress. I mean, I don't know any individuals or groups or that have this kind of targeted influence um, and, and such a major impact on the future. And this is a negative infinity spiral in, in my opinion. It is. But I don't want to just end on a, a negative note. I know we're running out of time, but I want to yeah, rush, I'm sorry, so I'm not just leaving sad. you with doom and gloom. Thank you. There's a new report from my, my workplace, the World Resources Institute, that I had nothing to do with, full Holler. disclosure. I'm just an interested person in this, <laughs> that talks about what we can get done based on what regulations are already in place. Wonderful. And um, now we don't get the level of emission targets we need based on what's already going on. We it's, we will still need additional action, but if federal and state, if federal bodies and state legislatures go through on all their promises, institute the cap and trade systems they've been saying that they will, we can get close to 17 percent below 2005 emissions levels by 2020, which is what Obama promised at Copenhagen. We don't quite get there, but we get close. And what I'm hoping is that we can sort of start a small infinity in the right direction by if we can start doing some of these smaller things now and showing people that it's not painful and yeah. it's not hard and it might actually create new jobs and boost the economy, I think we can start building some will toward action soon. I like it. I like that's, it too. That's Let's my hope. And it just, the failure of this federal le- legislation just shows the importance of, of these small infinity sorts of things. Like, yeah. 
do what we you just can need with to be what you have. stewards and you never know when a conversation about your garden is going to spark someone's interest and right. just spiral from there. Absolutely. And it's almost the smaller things are, the more effective they are because they're manageable. Yeah. And then right. you okay. feel like you've, you've accomplished something as well. The, the good feelings shouldn't right. be ignored either because calling your, your senator isn't that gratifying, but also important. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> so, hey, John Dingle, what is the, up? Where the house? Anyway, the, the rain cloud over the double rainbow episode. <laughs> <laughs> no, you know, I kind of just want to channel the energy. Oh, oh my god! Oh my god! And, and just put it, put all that negative energy into. Okay, let's just do something. Do what you can. Right. I now. agree. I think we need to take our anger and our frustration and really channel it. Yeah. Even so. that, if if that's pedaling your bike furiously wherever you need to go. Yeah. Get it out and then smile. Well, there's a story, too. I mean, there's a story on the Small Infinity blog about a daycare that went green. And lo and behold, one of the daughters or sons in that daycare was the daughter and son of a a large land developer. And the daycare actually changed the kids thinking and he took those thoughts home. And so you never know. I mean, you could just be... Somebody working at a daycare, working with a small child, talking to them about recycling, you don't know who their parents are. And it's just those kinds of of effects that we need to pay attention to and actually use intentionally, especially as opposed when the other option is to feel depressed and to feel like you you don't have any any control over it. Just keep asking yourself. What does this mean? (laughs) Instead of celebrating the positive things. Yeah. That you know. Well, we are going to go to uh, one of uh, Brian and, and my uh, favorite tunes. And I want to thank you, Brian, for giving us a very frank discussion of this bill um, and also some positive uh, spins on yeah, movements for Thank the you so much for having me. It's been a blast to, to have our reunion. Absolutely. Lovely to hear Absolutely. your voice. Thanks, Brian. All right. Best of luck with the blog, ladies. Thank, thank you. Thank you. All right, this is uh, the LCD sound system from their album that was released end of April, I believe, called This Is Happening. This is the song I Can Change.
This is It's Hot in Here, and this is WCBN-FM Ann Arbor. And we are back with an extra special reunion edition here with Emily Plews and Rachel Chatterton live in the studio of the smallinfinityproject.com, which you can check out online. That was really interesting syntax, Gina. <laughs> I wasn't even paying attention. It was just my talking, my talking you, mouth. You sound great. <laughs> Thanks. I think y'all are great. Sometimes yeah. I say things and I'm just wondering. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> What just came out of my mouth, but it's fine. Sometimes I'm lucky to see these. Double rainbow. Oh my god. Actually, I've never seen one, but um, if anyone has, please. I saw let one. Me know. I saw one last week, and I I texted you right away. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. What does oh. this mean? Yeah. I have seen a rainbow that goes completely around the sun once. What? In, That's awesome. That is Addis really Ababa, cool. Ethiopia. It was. Mm-hmm. I was really wondering uh, when what I saw it. Anyway, uh, we should get to a small in- infinity story. Uh, Hugh Simpson, former uh, co-host and godfather of It's Hot in Here, really, he, he helped this happen. I think he may be on the line right now. But can we hear one of these fantastic small infinity stories from the web, if possible? Sure. Will you give a little intro? Um, yeah. Um, this is a story that our friend, fellow, not yet graduate of the School of Natural Resources and Environment wrote, and I think we really, really liked it just because there's an element of romance to it. It's just a really beautifully written story. The rom-com of the small. rom-com of small infinities. Yeah. Um, and also, there's a line in there about humility that I really, really love. Nice. Um, so, okay. <clears throat> Here's Rachel Chatterton reading. Early 1980s. I recall the thrill of our first microwave, our first VCR, our first manual cable box, my first attempt at personal computers. All of this was considered progress and ingeniousness. Concurrently, my grandmother passed all of this by. She continued to can her own jam, make her own wine, keep a garden, save scrap materials for quilts for the grandchildren, wash and save used tinfoil, and hang every bit of laundry on the line. My grandfather had proudly built my grandmother a clothesline using pipes spray-painted silver in the 1950s. She considers it a symbol of his love for her, I would later learn. However, in this particular era of progress, I could sense that my parents were a bit embarrassed by my grandmother's traditionalism and reticence to use anything that she couldn't fix with grandpa. I noticed a similar sense when our family discussed how our neighbor lady also hung every stitch of laundry on the clothesline, right up to the first snow and right after the first thaw. We laughed as her husband's underwear flew in the breeze, those bright fruit of the looms, next to her generous Playtex brassieres. <laughs> Christmas, 2007. I shared breakfast with my grandmother and told her about our sustainability courses at the School of Natural Resources and Environment, particularly with Professor Thomas Princeton. I told her that it all reminded me of her lifestyle. She balked, but was slightly happy about the comment. As we did the dishes together by hand and looked out onto her snowy garden, we started talking about lifestyle changes since her childhood. She turned a bit serious and said quietly, Young people today have too much pride. They just have to have so much stuff and work so many hours to get more. Then they don't have time for their families or neighbors. Why do they need so much stuff? Pride and stuff. I glanced out the window at my grandmother's beautiful clothesline poles glistening with frost. That got me thinking about my lifelong embarrassment to hang all of my clothes on the line. I could start there. Just a simple act of humility to reduce the amount of carbon in the atmosphere. Summer 2010. I have been hanging my laundry for the past three years in the sunshine. Every place I live, I seek out the ancient infrastructure of a clothesline. Sometimes there is an old hook or a rusty nail at just the right height. Sometimes, like this summer, there is an old pipe stuck in the ground, not unlike my grandfather's structure, around which to tie lines. To my surprise, I connect with neighbors and nature as I hang up wet clothes. My grandmother and neighbor lady must have found that a clothesline is more than an economical choice. This summer, my current neighbor said to me, You know, Kate, it must be 50 years since that post was used. Good old thing. It's so nice to see fresh laundry again. We're so glad you moved in. So that's the story. And then I read the story. Mm -hmm. And I... (laughs) 
I did. I teared up a little bit. Thank you. <laughs> and then I, I looked out into my yard and I thought, that is ridiculous. Why am I using my dryer? And I went out right then. It was like 830 in the morning on a Tuesday and built a clothesline on yeah. my deck. So there's a clothesline on my deck now because I read this story. I like this. It's an intergenerational small infinity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that, and I like how the story also points to the conviviality or the sort of enjoyment and, and communion we have mm-hmm. with other people when we do something as simple as get outside and hang our laundry. Yeah. Outside. Huge. Mm-hmm. It's, it's great. I could uh, talk about that forever. However, we have the godfather of It's Hot in Here, uh, Hugh Stimson, Master of Science, on the line, I believe. Good afternoon, Ann Arbor and Ypsilanti. Oh, it is Hi, Hugh. so Hi, wonderful Hugh. to hear your voice through these headphones. Oh, it's good to be back on the air. Absolutely. For those of y'all uh, who aren't longtime listeners, uh, we actually started this show on Hugh's time slot about three years ago, perhaps, uh, when he was a DJ here at WCBN-FM Ann Arbor, the greatest radio station in the world, I can say with full confidence. Um, and now you're uh, back in your native land of Canada. That's true. I'm up here in uh, beautiful and very summery Vancouver, British Columbia. You may have heard of us. Oh, we have. We have. You've had some games there last winter. Yeah, yeah. There was some sort of sporting event. Okay. (laughs) Sounded fun. Some mild sporting events. Unfortunately, we only have five minutes. So I want to talk about what's going on in uh, Canada with with the tar sands, and then maybe we can bring you on another time to talk about some other very great uh, pressing issues going on there. I'll, I'll tell you what, this, the story that, that we're, we're, try, we're about to get into here is definitely too large for the, for the last four minutes, so okay. maybe was, this is the way we should do it. Let me, let me do the setup this week, okay. the infinity, and then maybe uh, another week where I can tell you uh, what's been going on lately that's, that's been um, the effect of change. That can be the mm. small part. That sounds great. Okay, so here's the infinity. I don't know how much you all know down there about the tar sands right now. But the, the tar sands are an area, uh, there's, there's some in Venezuela, there's a bit in the U.S., but most of them are in, in northern Alberta, the province of northern Alberta here in Canada. And they're a, they're a vast area of uh, tarry sand, which sits under the surface of the muskeg. And unfortunately, some people have figured out how to extract uh, oil from the tar in those sands. And, uh, and have been doing that at an increasing rate since the 60s. And obviously, any way you can get oil out of the ground is, is valuable these days. The trick is that this stuff is basically just, um, I got a little bit on my desk here. Uh, my, my housemate actually works up there as an engineer, and I worked there last summer. And it's just, a, it's just a gross, gooey kind of sand with a little bit of tar in it. And what you do is you, you peel back the muskeg, you drop down about 10 meters of, through this overburden, they call it, and then you send in these huge trucks, vast trucks, which pull, which, uh, which take back about two tons of this dirt for every, and then they take them back to these refiners. For every two tons of dirt, they get about one barrel of oil. Oh. And uh, as you can imagine, this is like the worst possible way from a carbon perspective to get petroleum out of the, out of the soil. But because with oil so expensive, as, economic, yeah, it's economic three sense. times as much uh, carbon per barrel as any other way we know, conventional way to extract oil. The trouble is they're huge, and, uh, and they make money. And right now, the, the amount of exposed soil up there is something like uh, it's about 190 square miles, which, by comparison, Detroit is about 140. And, uh, and they're growing all the time, and, and it's kind of becoming Canada's new economy. Um, so if you haven't heard about this stuff before, you're going to in the future. And it's important to America, too, because you import a lot of that oil. And we're putting through pipelines. Mm. And... Uh, and, and the, the word for a long time has been that this is unstoppable. Uh, the, the economy is such that, you know, the value of oil is only going up, and the size and scope of this project is huge, and the federal government is right on board behind it, and the provincial government, Alberta, is right on board behind it. And they're driving pipelines down through you guys, by the way. There's, uh, there's a new pr- proposed Trans-Canada Corporation Keystone Pipeline down to Texas, and they're pushing pipelines through northern B.C. to get access to the, uh, the Asian markets as well. And so... Um, and that's probably all the time we have is to give you this setup for right now. 
So imagine this vast and encroaching field of exposed glistening black tar and the tentacles uh, setting out across northern B.C. and also now down maybe into Texas. And right down, there's a, there's, a, there's a pipeline that goes right down into my backyard here in Vancouver. And this oil is starting to flow to American states and to Asian states and throughout Canada. And, uh, and the government is on board and is getting tons of money from these people. And the whole kind of center of financial gravity of the country is orienting itself around these tar sands. So uh, we'll leave it there, and maybe next time we can talk about how recently a small group of civil society and banded up with First Nations has is, is maybe made the first blow in reducing the spread of this thing. Huh? How's that sound? That sounds, that sounds great. I just want to say, Hugh, you might be giving Brian a run for his money for the title of It's Hot in Here Resident Buzzkill. <laughs> well, I've got another half of the story. You know? I know, I know, and we we eagerly await that. The great part is when Hugh and I used to do the show. He would always encourage us to find positive things to say. <laughs> I know, I know. I, what can I do? We can't just be doom and gloom. So 